forgot one more announcement. How did I forget this one? Because it's tomorrow night at about 8 o'clock. We need uh, a bunch of men to gather here at the church for some things that we're doing. just, uh, it's just a whole laundry list of things that are left over from 2017. We need you here. We need your brawn. Uh, it'll only take about four hours. <laughs> All right. You picked up on it. Life is a team sport. There's something happening tomorrow night, and uh, I think it has to do with one of the breeds of dogs. I don't have a dog in the hunt, but uh, it's not bad to be in Georgia these days. I was uh, putting feelers out with the Associate Pastor Search Committee this past week, and I heard from a friend of mine who, uh, who said, oh, y- y'all are looking for an Associate Pastor. Does he have to be a Bulldog fan? I said, well, <laughs> why not? Life is a, a team sport. It's a fun thing to watch this freshman quarterback Remember that this is a game. He's having so much fun out there on the field. And uh, even if you're not a football fan, it's a great thing to see a kid, a kid having that much fun, leading his team and not forgetting that life is a team sport. Here's what Stu Weber says about it. He says, together is one of the most powerful words in the English language. Interestingly, geese know how to use this to full advantage. They seem to know instinctively that life is a team sport. Wildlife biologists tell us that a flock of geese flying in V formation actually adds at least 71% more flying range than if each bird were flying on its own. As each bird flaps its wings, it actually creates an updraft for the bird immediately following. Left to itself, the lone goose experiences a drag and resistance that causes it to long for the flock. When the lead bird in the formation tires, it simply rotates to the back of the V and another bird flies to the point. That's a perfect picture of our three-year rotating leadership structure. And that's the point and purpose of it. Uh, We can go faster alone, but we go farther together. Uh, Another case of together is better is draft horses. They were made for pulling. And some years ago, a Midwestern country fair experimented with this. They they took a champion animal, and he was pulling a, a sled of about uh, 4,500 pounds, and the second place horse was, pulling, uh, was able to pull about 4,000 pounds. And when someone proposed harnessing them together, the two together, to see what they could do as a team, do the math, actually, together, they could pull 12,000 pounds. Isn't that amazing? The point is that our feathered friends... No, and the beasts of burden experience that better, we're better together. What makes us thrive as individuals? What makes us thrive? 
Connection. Community. Life on life. Relationship. That's why it's incredible when I read to you from Matthew 4 that what's happening in the background is a subtle temptation to disconnect from the key relationships of life. To seek autonomy. To be independent is one of our greatest temptations. The issues that we have with each other, with God, with a broken world, we are so tempted to disconnect from it as if that would make things better rather than to working through it. And so as you, as you hear Jesus at the beginning of his ministry sent into the wilderness, tempted by Satan in these three powerful ways. See and hear how he's being tempted to disconnect, and then we're going to dig into it. Hear God's word this morning from Matthew chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I like that. I always pause there and kind of chuckle to myself. You think? (laughs) And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, And set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you. On the other hand, on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these will be given to you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, Angels came and were ministering to him. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we come before you asking that the words of my mouth and the meditations together of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you pick up on the three temptations? Three temptations to disconnect from relationship, relationship with the Lord, relationship with each other, and relationship to the world in need. What makes us thrive? Connection. What's one of our greatest connection, greatest temptations is to disconnect from those key relationships. And so let's take a look at those three temptations so that we can see how important it is, especially in this new year, to stay connected, that we may thrive in life together. First is, we are tempted towards independence. 
Now, I know, you know, each one of us uh, wants to, to prove, especially when we come of age, that, that we can do it, right? We, we want to uh, define ourselves over and apart from our families of origin, and we want to stand on our own two feet. And, and, and being enabled to be competent and, and, and to thrive uh, on our own two feet, that, that's a good thing. But not to the exclusion of community. And so we move from, uh, from dependence when we're a child to, to kind of bucking for, for independence. But, but at some point, we need to emerge from adolescence and become adults and, and childlike again to an interdependence. Dependence, independence of adolescence, proving ourselves, and then to interdependence. But we're tempted we're tempted towards, especially, as you see in, in the text here, you can see when, when Satan tempts Jesus to turn the rocks into bread, don't just think in terms of his, his own personal satisfaction of hunger after 40 days. He's tempting him to physical and economic independence. If he begins to make life work for himself just according to his own will and his own way and not the way of his heavenly father, not the will of his heavenly father, what is he striving to do? He's striving for power, independent of the father, to meet his needs on his own. That's one of our great temptations, is to make, try to make life work for us apart from God. That's one of our great, great temptations. What do you, when you see, uh, you're driving through a, a, a major urban area and you see the billboard, right? You see what the number is. You know which billboard I'm talking about? The lottery. They know what they're doing to get your however much money it is to buy a lottery ticket. Yeah, I said it that way just so you know I, I didn't buy one. Maybe. They know what they're doing. They get your imagination going, don't they? All you have to do is see a number and you start dreaming, don't you? You do. Come on, you're, pretend, you're being silent. I know you. You're like me. And you start imagining what it would be like to have all those, those bills, all those dollars. And you start imagining what it would be like to live independent of all those problems. You think all those problems are going to go away. Research says that 70% of the people who win the lottery blow it in the first year. 70%. That's crazy. The incidence of depression and suicide is four times that of the normal population for lottery winners. Money is useful. The love of money is brutal to the soul. Money is very useful. We need it. We need to be able to pay our bills. The love of money brutalizes the soul. Why? Because it alienates us from the primary identity of our life, the connection that we have with our Heavenly Father. There's a myth out there that that we are responsible to invent ourselves 
and that the authentic human life is the one that comes from within, that, that, that it's something that I create on my own, independent of anything else. And what you see here, Jesus identifies with Father. God in human flesh does not forget his connection with the Godhead, with the Father. Leaving his glory, leaving the power behind, knows that square one is that he belongs not to himself, but to God. He quotes in verse 4, it says, He's tempted to economic power, to independence, to living on his own, to making life work for him apart from God. And what does he do? He quotes scripture. Isn't it powerful to think man does not live by bread alone, the bread of life, quoting the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 8.3. In the place in the Old Testament where, where the Israelites were trying to make life work for them apart from God, here comes manna from heaven, only on a daily basis. Give to us our daily bread. And you can begin to pull in all these different strings, from threads from Scripture. The dependence that we have upon God is a good thing. And to be reminded of it is to know who we are and to walk into our future with great confidence in our identity. Not that we have to invent it on our own. Not that it comes from some sort of idiosyncrasy that we have and, and we have to, to, uh, to be an authentic person. I've got to invent myself. But that I find my deepest, fullest, bravest, longest view of who I am in being a son of the Father, a daughter, or a son of your heavenly Father. The temptation to alienation, to make life work from, apart from God, is to lose your true self, replacing it for an adapted self. We see Jesus himself shirking the power independent from God. That's the first temptation. First temptation is economic power, independence from God to say, who needs God? And you can see that we thrive in identity, in relationship with him. The second temptation is to be independent from each other, from people. It's, it's to be alienated from each other. The first is economic power. The second is religious power. And you might not make the connection at first. You can see that Jesus is, is tempted to jump off the temple mount in the holy city. But, but what's happening here is he's being tempted to prove that he's better than everybody else. That's the deadly power of religion. As opposed to relationship with the Heavenly Father that humbles us and helps us identify with each other. You see the difference? We are so tempted as a church. We're tempted in our positions, political and social, to think that because I'm on the right side of history, because I see it differently from you, I'm better than you. Have you noticed that in the media these days and in our culture these days, that having the right opinion has a sort of religious undertone to it? Have you noticed that certain positions, even secular positions or positions that have nothing to do with anything, people or maybe even the environment, 
your position on one side or the other has grown so vitriolic. It's as if, if I have the right position, I'm better than you. This is the temptation that we have that alienates us from each other, to be better than, rather, rather than to identify with humanity in its brokenness. There was uh, many years ago uh, uh, the beginning of a, of a trend, at least in my lifetime, that I noticed, and I've seen it repeat itself over and again. Uh, I'm not going to call anybody out by name, but some of you will associate some names with, with the trend, and the trend was to identify believers in the country as a moral majority, as leverage for power. The church loses steam when it replaces love with leverage. Religious leverage, it is an expedient way of trying to say, well, we're going to maintain our cultural heritage or we're going to maintain these, these positions that we think are good for us through the power of, of our identity together as believers. It seems like a good idea at the front end, an expedient way. Give me a, a lever large enough and I will, I will move the whole world, right? It seems like a, a good idea at the time, but here's what ends up happening. The message that gets received is not a message of love. It's a message of, we're better than you. We know better than you. We know what's good for you, and we're going to make sure that you abide by the line that we draw. Jesus invites us to obedience. He doesn't leverage us into obedience. In the same way that we're called into relationship with God, and we're called into redemptive relationships with each other, our position towards the church, toward, as the church towards the world, should not be one of power, but of invitation, bridge building, connection. That's how we thrive. When we identify with the people around us to say, hey, we're, we're all part of the same broken gene pool. We have the same need. We have the same Heavenly Father. Some of us, jumping over that gap between us and God, we may, some of us may, may, may have the moral fiber to make it halfway. Some of us may make it three-quarters. Some of us may make it a quarter of the way. But none of us can make it all the way. And so when we use our faith to create a, a leverage of power, we depart from the law and the ethos of love that's behind the law. We, we exchange grace for power, in other words. Jesus, in verse 7, you can see what, what, what he's saying there. He says, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. That's his response to the temptation for him to throw himself down from, from the temple mount, right? He's supposed to throw himself down and prove to everybody who he is that way, to center his identity upon himself and his goodness. That, that in identifying as the one whom angels would protect from, from being dashed upon the rocks, he shows that he's better than everybody else. And, and Jesus simply says, I'm not going to put God to the test. Why? What's happening there? Jesus is part of 
the, 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 the $5 word for it is parakoretic. And what that is saying, para is like parallel, right? And what that means is that Jesus is alongside the Father and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is part of a community of the Godhead. We don't understand it. We don't have time to delve into the mystery of it. But Jesus understands that he, he is self-effacing to the Father, self-effacing to the Spirit. Each builds the other up. Isn't it amazing when you see somebody who, who just wants to build you up? What do you want to do? When someone builds you up, when they encourage you, when they compliment you in front of others, do, do you just want to puff your chest out and say, yeah, that's me? No, you want, you want to reciprocate. That's our natural instinct. This is, this is what Jesus is modeling for us, the kind of relationships that are reciprocal because we, we are being humble and we are considering others as better than ourselves. Not thinking less than ourselves, but building others up. That kind of connection, that kind of life-on-life connection, modeled after Christ in the Trinity, that makes us thrive. I want to be around people like that, self-effacing people. People who are not building themselves up, but building one another up. That means that, that we have to be willing to be known, to be transparent. It doesn't mean that I'm going to trust fall in the arms of everybody and be totally uh, wide open and, and tell everybody everything about my history and past and hurts. But it does mean that I may lean on, on you from time to time. And, and that's what we're called to do. That, there, that, that within this larger body of, of the church, you need to find a place. You're called to find a place of people small group, a Sunday school class with whom you can lock arms and, and lean a little bit from time to time. Be transparent. Be open about who you really are and what you really think and how you really feel about things. It's, it's a way of being self-effacing to say, I don't have it all figured out. I'm not better than you. We need one another. We are interdependent and that helps us to thrive. Finally, this. Our temptation is to be independent, to make life work for us apart from God, to make life work for us and to be better than each other rather, rather than to be transparent and connected, identifying with a common need. Those are the two, two, two first temptations. The final one may not be as evident as the first two. Let me say it, and then we'll explore it. It's to be independent. The temptation is to be independent of a world in need. It's to be independent of a world in need. It's to say, there's a broken world out there, and I want to protect my family from it. Now, there's a certain measure of sanity to that, of course. Boundaries. But if we're not identifying with the brokenness of the world around us, then we will shrink. We will shrink. We will not become the fully courageous, winsome humans that God has created us to be if we are not identifying with a world in need. 
what Jesus is tempted to here when he's being shown all of the kingdoms of the earth is political power to be in charge of it all. All he has to do is surrender his soul, his life, to the evil one. And all of it is his. Well, you say, well, I thought God, God was over all of it. Yeah, it's true. For the time being, and this is another one of those mysteries, is that this is enemy-occupied territory. And so the kingdoms of this world, the kingdoms of this world have, are greatly influenced by evil. The power, the, there's a power in the world that is not good. <laughs> Doesn't take much convincing, does it? <laughs> and so for Jesus to be in a position as a human, fully human, to consider, you know, bypassing the cross and, and all of the inconvenience of being connected with this fallen, broken humanity, he's tempted just to step in. And, and, and it's almost like, if you remember um, Gandalf in the, uh, the Lord of the Rings, some of y'all uh, like that, 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 that sort of uh, uh, fantasy uh, story, and some of you don't. But just bear with me for a second. Gandalf is this great wizard. And, and you think that he can do no wrong and that he's, he's, he really has a goodness to him and a virtue to him that, 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 that wouldn't betray anyone. But he knows. He knows that his nature is still fallen. And he's offered the ring of power, ultimate power at one point in the story. And he's tempted by it. And he tells Frodo Baggins, he says to him, and, and, and the, the hobbits represent a goodness and an innocence of children that adults don't have, right? And he says, don't offer me that power again because I will be tempted to use it for good, but I will end up hurting everyone. And see, this is the position that Jesus finds himself in. And he's thinking ahead to the cross and he's thinking ahead to having to, to, to rub elbows with the unwashed masses, yes. And to multiply bread, to serve them, not to rule them. To, to dodge past all those inconveniences. And he says, no. He says, no. I will, I will identify with humanity. He says, you're to worship the Lord your God and to serve him alone. So in serving humanity, in being a servant, not a ruler, he recognizes that he's serving God. As you have done it to the least of these, you have done it unto me. Does that sound familiar? And so you see, we are not fully ourselves we do not fully reach our potential unless we are helping everyone around us in need reach theirs. I want to close by giving you a, a little bit of a picture of 2017 and 2018 and some things that have been happening a little bit behind the scenes. The session called a Vision Team Together and asked them to do some dreaming for us and, and to do a little evaluating of us and many of you have been praying for each individual member of, of this vision team. Maybe, you've, maybe you haven't heard from us for, for, for a while and you might have forgotten that you're supposed to be praying for us. Well, be reminded, okay? Pray, pray hard. But this vision team have, has been looking at who we are in our past, 
reading things like Saints and Sinners, which is one of the books, two volumes of a book. You know, they're, they're, for those of you who are visiting, there are a couple of books that have been written on this church. And, and, and delving into our history and understanding our present and then beginning to, to bring some words to what our future was. And, and you know what they, they came up with? Um, the mission of the church is the same mission that it has always been, and we want the mission of the church to be understood by a six-year-old. We want the mission of the church to be clearly centered upon what the mission of the church was a thousand years ago and will be a thousand years from now, and that is to make disciples. But the vision that we're being called to over the next 50 days, we want to pray about it together before we, we roll that out. But it does have to do with realizing our potential as Christians and as a church by helping Thomasville realize theirs. Did you follow me on that? We're being called, beginning tomorrow, into a season of 50 days of prayer. It's called 50 days of vitality. And tomorrow in your Sometime tomorrow in your inbox, you will receive an email that'll give you a little bit of an explanation of what this will be. It's just a simple daily devotional. It'll take you a couple minutes to read it every day. And you can reflect on it. You can pray for the church. But for the next 50 days, we'd like us to, to come together in a season of prayer and reflection. But we want to give you this, this little bit of a picture that we as a church and we as individuals are not going to realize our potential in this life that God gives us unless we're helping others, especially the last, the least, and the lost, realize their potential. Jesus understood that. That's why he left the glory of heaven and took on the nature of a servant. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And became obedient even unto death on a cross. Whoever humbles himself will be made exalted. Whoever loses his life will find it. These are the mysteries of relationship with the Godhead. This is the mystery of our common bond together. This is the mystery of being called into the broken and dark places of our community. Let's pray together.